following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Good morning. One of the things that I enjoy a lot when I'm living out in this part of the world and when I get the occasion to travel is to think wherever I have the opportunity of worshiping on a given Sunday that uh, I'm meeting people that I'm going to be spending eternity with. What a privilege that we have, you know, when we come here and we're coming from all different kinds of countries and cultures and ethnic backgrounds and languages. But someday we're all going to understand each other. Um, And we're all going to be praising God together. And so I think it's important that we take some time to remember that we are a fellowship of the redeemed. And... um, So I know that in recent weeks we've been taking just a moment to say, who among us is visiting or relatively new? And I'm going to be defined relatively new, meaning that you don't normally worship here, or you've worshipped here uh, less than three times, or three times or less. Uh, Who's visiting with us? Okay, good. Thank you for raising your hands. Um, we often say that uh, because of the turnover, you know, if you've been here much longer than that, you consider yourself a member and a regular, and please be reaching out to, the, to those who are newer. And uh, I really would like to take just a few minutes, you know, let's, let's say hello to each other. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all going to be the bride of Christ uh, someday. So why don't you take just a few minutes, say hello, especially to those who raise their hands and uh, are new. Just think, we're going to have eternity to get to actually remember people's names. (laughs) I've already forgotten the names of the people I introduced myself to here. (laughs) uh, I'm glad we're going to have eternity. It's going to take me that long, at least, to to get everybody's name down. But it's it's going to be super. And we can start right now enjoying the fellowship. And uh, part of that fellowship really is, is here and now in our fallen world, is about things like God reconciling us and God forgiving us and our being reconciled to one another. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning. And I know these are familiar themes. You've heard them before. Some of this uh, you know, is not necessarily going to be new. I hope that I'll be able to give you some, some new thoughts. And my hope and my desire is truly that what we talk about during the course of what we're, what we're doing this morning, I really, really want you to be thinking about real-life situations, things in your life that, that uh, forgiveness and reconciliation are what's needed. Uh, early in my life, I actually started off to be, to be a preacher. Uh, I was pre-SEM when I headed off to college, and uh, God changed directions for me and uh, sent me on to become a psychologist. And right now I'm the, uh, here in Chiang Mai, I'm serving as the director of the Well Member Care Center. And so uh, today I finally get to come full circle. Um, I have talked before groups before, but I believe that this is technically my first sermon. So uh, sorry about that, folks. <laughs> and I apologize if things sound uh, a bit psychological. I, I think I'm going to try to keep them as very, very biblical because I believe that they are. 
I want to start off with a story that I uh, actually got from another person uh, in Chiang Mai, and so some of you may have heard this story as well. It's about a man who really, really loved dogs. I mean, he loved dogs. He, he devoted his life to them. He, he studied about them. He read books about them. He even, he even gave talks to other people about dogs. Well, one day, this, uh, this man decided that he needed to, uh, to pour a new sidewalk in front of his house. And uh, so he set off to do that. And, and he, his neighbor, uh, who knew about his love for dogs, was watching him from, from his house. And I watched him as he smoothed out that last little bit of uh, cement there. And uh, just then, just as he was finished, a large dog comes and walks through the cement. Well, the man kind of mutters a bit under his breath, but he goes back and he, he smooths out that cement again. And, and he walks into his house to go get some, some rope or some twine to, to get a fence to keep people out of the, uh, out of the, the cement, the sidewalk. Well, he comes back out, sure enough, the dog's been through the cement again. Dog prints all over. Well, he's starting to get a little bit warm inside. And uh, so he, but he takes his trowel and he smooths out the, out the cement, puts up his little fence, walks back up to the porch, turns around, looks, and dog prints. The dog's been through the cement already. Goes and Gets his trowel. Now he's really starting to get hot. He's starting to mutter under his breath. And he goes out, smooths out the, um, the, the cement one more time. He heads back into the, into the house. And he, five minutes later, he looks out of his window. And there's the big dog sitting in his fresh new cement. He goes and gets his gun, goes outside and shoots the dog. His friend, who's been watching this from the, from the next door house, comes over and says, Hey, what are you doing? I thought you loved dogs. What are you doing shooting that dog? He says, the man thought a little bit, and he says, Well, you know, I, I do. I, I, I do love dogs. But, I, I, but that's in the abstract. I hate dogs in the concrete. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's how some of us may feel about the topic of forgiveness and reconciliation. It's great to think about in the abstract. It's great to think about when we're thinking about how God forgives us. But when we have to think about forgiving somebody else who's really hurt us, yeah, do we like forgive the idea of forgiveness so well when it's in the concrete, when it's about us? I hope today that you'll really, really think about situations in your own life. I want to, um, I want to start by reading a well-known passage, and we'll be really referring to a number of well-known passages today. Matthew 18, starting with verse 21. Matthew 18:21 Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, "Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to 7 times?" Jesus answered, "I tell you, not 7 times, but 77 times." <laughs> <laughs> 
Therefore, Jesus goes on, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Oh, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servants, I'm sorry, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, You wicked servant! I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. You know, the area of forgiveness is an area that in many ways I think that as Christians we should be experts about. And we certainly do know a lot about forgiveness, but I think we also have a lot of confusion, and a lot of times that confusion leads to making forgiveness and reconciliation actually a bit more difficult. You know, God made us to be in relationships. But in this fallen world, we know, you know, we mess up all the time. We have mistakes, misunderstandings, forgetfulness. We're limited as human beings. He made us to be in those relationships, but these things put a block in our relationships. And we need to be reconciled back to one another because there's some level of brokenness there. Now, we could use the word forgiveness for those things, but for these small things, we probably would be better to, to just say things like, you know, please understand that I'm human, I'm limited, I'm forgetful, I'm ADD, Something like that. For those things, we, we do need to say, you know, I'm sorry. Um, but we could also say, you know, just would you please accept me with my limits? Please let me try again. Or please understand that I didn't mean to harm you. These are the kind of things that are often smaller. There's some brokenness. We need some reconciliation. But these are not major problems in our relationships usually. But we do need forgiveness. We do need to use that word for the big things. The things in life that really, really hurt. Things that have the, these characteristics. I'm hurt by a person. We don't have to forgive the weather for sending a flood. We forgive people. 
And we forgive people because of something they did to us, not for something they are, like more talented than I am, and I'm jealous, or something like that. We don't talk about forgiveness for that. We need to talk about forgiveness for the things that really, really hurt, that cause physical or emotional and relational harm. The things that just don't go away very easily. The offender can't just come up easily or tritely and say, oh, please forgive me. Sorry about that. These are the things that cause the deep rifts in our relationships, that break them apart. These are things that maybe, we should be on the next slide, Darren. There we go. Okay, okay, keep going. <laughs> okay, these are the, the things that uh, often are intentional, that often are meant to hurt. They're just mean. Or they may involve really significant losses to ourselves in some way, our reputation. The things that violate our sense of what's right or how things are supposed to be. I'm wronged, maybe betrayed. And so I want you all to turn inward as I go through this next little bit. I'm going to give some examples. But again, I want this to be a sermon where you are trying to apply this to your own life. To think about someone who really needs to be forgiven by you. Or to think of a wrong that's happened in your life, whether to you or from you, that's really serious. And I'm going to go through some examples, but don't get, don't get tied to my examples. Let them be things that prompt you to think, what's going on in your own life? And, and teenagers and kids, don't tune me out here. You have things about forgiveness too. So what are things going on in your life? Examples like lies, being lied about, gossip. Who's slandered you? Kids at school? A co-worker? What about those of you who have been in accidents that left you or a friend seriously injured, maybe for life. People who haven't kept promises to you because they chose not to keep them, not because they just forgot. The ones who let you down over and over. Or how about those of you who have had people misuse your possessions or your money? A spouse who spends the family into debt. Friends who misuse your stuff. There's some big ones, but some of you have been part of big ones. What about you who have been abused or there was abuse in your family? Who have had colleagues, friends murdered, kidnapped, burglaries, I was doing this talk in Africa and somebody said, what are we supposed to do about the genocide? How are we supposed to forgive that? And some of you are close enough to situations like that. Deliberate defiling. What about mission organizations that haven't kept their promises to you? Or supporters who said that they would support you and haven't? Or a fellow student who cheats so that they can look good 
And maybe they end up giving the, getting the reward or the prize or the scholarship that you deserved. So try to hold your own personal situations in your mind as we talk. But what are the results of these kind of situations? Well, the result of being hurt like this is that a person incurs a debt. They owe you something because of what they did or didn't do. That person feels unsafe or dangerous to you. You won't be able to just trust them until this issue is dealt with. There is a broken relationship. God still wants us to be reconciled, but now it's not getting so easy, is it? It's not so natural, humanly, to want to forgive. Revenge can come a lot more easily and naturally. Or it isn't easy to admit my own sin, the thing that I need to confess on how I've wronged someone. But I think that, again, misunderstandings sometimes make this more difficult than it needs to be. And so I want to talk about the process of reconciliation and the, the two components of it, forgiveness and contrition. Darren, we should be quite a bit further. There we go. Okay. And then the next slide. Okay, forgiveness has three parts. First part about, being, uh, about forgiving is that we have to feel the hurt of what happened to us. And this is, these uh, first areas of forgiveness are areas that I think often as Christians we really struggle with. Because a lot of times being told that we need to forgive, we're commanded to forgive by, by God himself, we want to rush right over the hurt that's happened to us. Like those things that I mentioned early, earlier, those cause deep pain. But a lot of times we try to whitewash. Notice that in the story in Matthew 18, verse 23, Therefore, the king who wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. We have to take an account of what happened to us. We have to face the reality. And this is hard because a lot of times we don't want to look at the pain in our life, the pain of what people have done to us. But we cannot forgive unless we are willing to face the reality. If we're in denial, we will have cheap forgiveness and it will come back later to haunt us. So forgiveness is about those things that we have from people that we don't deserve and for things that people did to us. So we have to acknowledge, I have been hurt. I've been wronged. And when we've been wronged, the second stage of forgiveness is we need to acknowledge that we're angry. We, and we need to take some time to feel the anger. Now, anger, again, is one of those emotions that in Christian circles uh, is, tends to be very confusing. Anger, I believe, is a God-given emotion. It's what God wants us to feel when something violates his moral standards. When something is not right, anger is what we feel, and it gives us the energy to try to do something or to change that thing that's not right. Now, the Bible has lots of warnings about anger, and I think often it's talking about the behavior of anger 
and the many destructive things that we can do with anger. But if we don't feel the anger again, we're partially in denial of what's happened to us. And in fact, uh, as a psychologist, I see that people who won't uh, acknowledge and face their hurt and their anger are really saying, I don't matter. I'm not that important. I can be treated this way, and it doesn't have any real consequences. It's okay. But God says, no, it's not. Not when you've genuinely been wronged and violated. It's not right to be lied about. It's not right to be gossiped about. It's not right to be murdered. It's not right those things that you may be thinking about. Godly anger is to be angry about the things that God would be angry at. But we're not to be uh, sinful in our anger. That's righteous anger. Uh, Dara, next slide. Okay, and can can you keep going? Anger is aimed at what a person does. Hatred is aimed at a person. Anger is useful to respond to the bad. That's that energy in order to respond. But hatred wants bad to happen to the person. Anger pushes for justice. Hatred pushes for vengeance. But then God says, you know what? Holding on to that anger is not what he wants us to do. I believe that anger is a God-given emotion, but not one he wants us to stay with. He wants us to do something with it. And when we've been hurt and wronged, we need to move on to the, to the third stage of forgiveness, which is the healing. Once we've admitted the reality of what's happened to us, and we're not in denial, now we're in a position to really go to God and to say, God, would you please hold this for me? Because if I hold on to this, I'm going to turn into a bitter person, a resentful person. It's going to eat me from the inside like battery acid. Am I willing to give my right for, for hurting back, for revenge, and say, God, I want you to take this because I want you to do justly. When, I, when I'm ready to give that over to God, I become ready to see the person as more than just the one who wronged me. To see them through God's eyes. To see them with compassion, like the, the king did in Matthew 18. The servant's master took pity on him, and he canceled the debt. You know, what's your name? Rena? Okay. Raina? Raynan. Raynan. Good thing I have eternity to get this right. <clears throat> if Raynan has just done something... Do I have it right now? Okay. <laughs> if Raynan does something and she has really, really hurt me, for a while, there is just this big block in our relationship. There's a big boulder. And in fact... You know, for a little while, that's all I can see about Raynan is what she just did to me. She's just that person who hurt me, who wronged me. There's a boulder in the way of our relationship. When I choose to forgive, 
I don't pretend that the bowler isn't there. I don't say, oh, it's okay. You know, that bowler really doesn't matter. It didn't really hurt, <coughs> you know, too much. No, I'm not in denial that, that the boulder and the block was there. But in forgiveness, I'm willing to say, you know what, I want God to hold this for me and to take this. And I want to say, what is there more about Rainan? Is that all there is to her? Maybe she's a very wounded, hurting person too. What do I know about her as a whole person rather than just what she did to me? When I'm willing to do that, when I'm able to maybe look at Rainan and say, you know what, she hurt me, but do I understand Matthew 18 and understand the amount of the debt that God has forgiven me? Or do I understand the message of Luke 15 and the prodigal son to say, do I know, am I willing to see how much God loves this person and I have no right to just write her off? Do I understand that no matter what Rainan tries to do, she is never going to be able to repay the debt? If someone comes with a knife and just slashes me, okay, eventually, you know, I can heal. And maybe I won't even hurt eventually, but I'm certainly going to hurt initially. But is there anything that, let's say if Rainan did that to me, is there anything that she can do that will undo? Or am I going to carry in myself the consequences of that sin? Yes. And there's nothing she can do. There's no repayment she can do that will take it back. I may have a scar for the rest of my life. That scar may hurt. I may bear in my body the results of her sin. But can she ever take it away? See, the only thing that God gives us to do to deal with these kind of things is forgiveness. Am I willing to give them a second chance, just as God does with us, uh, like the, the king did? Am I w- willing to let God take care of any punishment? God will be perfectly just. The person, I'm, while I'm letting them off my hook, I'm, they're not off God's hook. And God will do justice. Either that person will pay for their sin. Or, like I hope is true for every single one of us, Jesus already did. Somebody pays. We either pay for our own sin, or we fall on the mercy of God and accept His gift of Christ, and that Jesus paid for it. I let God take, per, take care of the punishment. Romans um, I want to read from Romans 12:17-21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary... If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, does that sound humanly natural? I don't think so. Again, our, our, our faith, 
Now, Christianity is not something people dreamed up because they wouldn't come up with this stuff. But God says that's what he wants us to do and gives us the power. Forgiveness, uh, next slide, forgiveness is something that we are commanded to do. It's not optional. And if it's not optional, it must be doable. It's the responsibility of the wounded person. But it is not the same as, rec- as being reconciled. In forgiveness, I do rediscover the humanity of the other person. I begin to see that person in their entirety and not just the one who hurt me. I surrender my right to get back and to hurt back. I give up on vengeance. Vengeance is my own pleasure at seeing somebody else hurt. I'm sorry, someone who hurt me get paid back and and then plus a little additional. Justice is someone paying a fair penalty for wrongdoing. God always responds with justice. We often respond with vengeance. We often do too much or sometimes we do too little. But the problem is, is, you know, no matter how I respond to somebody else, there's a real good chance that that other person is going to think I did too much, that my consequences are more than justice. And if you look at the world and you think, what do we see? Round after round after round of retribution. You know, the Bible in the Old Testament said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And uh, if you understand the context, that was a great advance Injustice in the Old Testament over what the cultures of that day and would probably say our day do. That alone is a great advance. But Jesus said, I want to take that further. Turn the cheek. Don't seek retribution. Let God take care of it. There are a lot of misconceptions about... I'm, I'm sorry, one more thing. I, in forgiveness, I revise my feelings towards the person I forgive. I actually began to feel, feel more humanly towards them. And in forgiveness, I can reach that point where I can actually start to wish and pray for good for the other person. I let go of my hatred or anger. number of misconceptions, uh, here's a few of them that are common, that some things are just too big to forgive, or that some people are too evil to be forgiven. But notice what that, where the focus is when we say that. The focus is on the other person or the size of the offense. But God puts the burden of forgiveness here. It's something I do regardless of what the other person did so that I can be free. It's for me. It's for my freedom. To say some things um, you just can't ever get over goes along a little bit with the next one, you haven't forgiven if you haven't forgotten. And that's a, that is a, uh, a common misconception. It goes along with the phrase, forgive and forget, um, which most people think is a very bad phrase. Think about it. Think about some of the really big hurts in your life. Are you really going to forget those? No. Someone murders your child, are you going to forget that? No. Does an omniscient God forget? Or does he say, you know what? I am going to remove your sins as far, as far from you as east is from west. 
Isn't it good that God removes our sin from us and from Him and doesn't remove us from Him? That's one of the most profound things there. You know, uh, and then the last misconception, uh, if you get angry at the person and the wrong, you haven't forgiven him. I hope that after what I've just said, you can see that feeling the hurt and feeling the anger are actually the first steps to genuine forgiveness because now you're facing the reality of what you're forgiving. Okay, but, but, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We're not over to reconciliation yet because when somebody has really, really hurt you, we said several other things. The person who hurts you does not feel safe. When I'm dealing with clients and I'm trying to talk with them about forgiveness, they're really getting stuck right about now. And they're saying, this doesn't feel right. I don't think I'm ready to forgive. And so I hasten on to say, yeah, I understand. That person who hurts you doesn't feel safe, do they? And there's something about that word safe that seems to really resonate with a lot of the people I work with. They don't. They're not safe yet. Am I just supposed to go back to the same thing and just put up with it? Those kind of questions. Am I supposed to act as if it doesn't matter? Am I just supposed to smile and say, okay, I forgive you, everything's fine now? How does a person get safe? How can we draw close again? And this is the part I think we often don't talk about, even though I think it's a major theme in the Bible. And it's a word, the word that I use for it is contrition. And contrition also has three steps or components to it. Contrition is something that has to be initiated by the wounded. I'm sorry, the wounder. The offender is not safe. They are dangerous to that other person. And we are naturally inclined to protect ourselves. The first thing that the wounder has to do is to honestly confess their sin. They must take ownership of what they've done. They need to go to that person and say, I did that. And it needs to be without excuses. No, you know, I did that, but... Because the but just negates the, con the confession. They have to take ownership of what they have done and admit it. No blaming, no minimizing, no rationalizing, no superficial, oh, I'm sorry. In 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. We'll come back to that. Psalm 51, <clears throat> verses 3 to 6. For I know my transgression, and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. We have to come and be truthful with God and with the other person about who we are and what we've done. Psalm 32, verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. In addition to confession, stage two, step two, is what I call godly sorrow. 
By the way, when I use the word contrition, I'm obviously taking it from Psalm 51. It's not a definition you're going to find in the dictionary that says, oh yeah, contrition has these parts. Um, it's the best word I could come up with to, to define what I believe that we have to do. The second part of it is godly sorrow. I need to take the time to understand how I have hurt that other person, how I have hurt God. I need to have some understanding of it. And, usually, and often, the only way that I'm truly going to have understanding of what I've done is I'm going to have to take the time to hear the other person. I'm going to need to listen. Unfortunately, over the years, I've dealt with more cases of unfaithfulness than I wish I would have. And let's just take the stereotype, the husband's the one who's been unfaithful. He can't just trivially come up and say, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Way deeper than that, right, ladies? He's going to have to listen. Because there's not just one level of hurt. There are multiple levels of hurt. And I liken it to a diamond that's just one diamond, but it has many facets. There's the hurt that was caused to that relationship in the sexual area. There's the hurt, the damage to the trust, the damage to the children, the damage to the friends, the damage to the church, the damage to the wider community or ministry. There's damage, damage, damage. And sometimes I'll get the, uh, the offender and they'll say, when is the other person going to stop talking about this? And I'll tell them two things. I'll say, first, have you been listening? Does the person know you've really listened to the stuff that they've told you so far? And it could be that they're telling you new levels of hurt each time that they're coming back to you. The hurt you thought you heard last week is not necessarily the same as what you're hearing this week. It may be deeper. It may be another facet. In Matthew 18, there's a good indication that this servant was never broken. Psalm 51, a broken spirit and a contrite heart, Lord, you will not despise. You will not turn that away. The servant in Matthew 18, oh, be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. Now, it's the same words that the servant later on said, but you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot difference between saying when you're working on slave wages and you owe $10 million, I'm going to pay it back. Oh, no, you're not. What this man needed to do is come in complete humility and say, there's no way I can pay this back. He was not broken. And we see that later on when he wouldn't forgive his fellow servant. We need to be broken people. This stage is really important. It's the stage I have the hardest time trying to tell people about. But I think it's the most important part of being contrite. It should lead to the last step, which we see in, uh, an example of in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. If you remember, Paul had written a really difficult letter to the Corinthians, and he really had to... Uh, chide them on quite a few issues in 1 Corinthians and perhaps another letter that's missing. In 2 Corinthians, he says, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, 
Though I did regret it, Paul's saying, oh boy, I almost wish I hadn't sent that letter. But then he says, you know, no, I'm not. I see that my letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Worldly sorrow brings death. I like to think that the Apostle Peter had godly sorrow. He was broken and later was healed. And that Judas had worldly sorrow, remorse, and it led him to commit suicide. And so the last step then of being contrite is repentance. It's a change of mind, an action. It's I agree with God and the other people that what I did was wrong and I commit to changing my behavior. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Please, uh, cleanse me. Behavior change has to be genuine in order to earn trust. And what I found is that when people don't confess and when they are not broken, they, they can change their behavior but it will usually only last for a little while. And the other person usually won't trust that change for a long time. In James 3, or James 4, we have all three of these components. Come near to God and He will come near to you. In other words, be honest, confess. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Change your behavior. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. So being contrite, an honest confession, godly sorrow and brokenness, repentance, a changed behavior. Now we can finally have reconciliation. Reconciliation is the healing that happens when both forgiveness and contrition have happened. Forgiveness and contrition have no strings attached. God says, do it. Do it. Forgive and confess. But reconciliation has several strings attached. It needs both of those things to happen. We can forgive a person who never says he's sorry and is never contrite. But we cannot be reconciled unless he is honestly contrite. And if I'm contrite, it's not a guarantee that I will will be reconciled with the other person either. I can be forgiven by God, and I can be free with God, even if I'm never reconciled with the other person. Our reconciliation with God is one of the most exciting things to me. 2 Corinthians 5, All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Do you see how this theme plays out? 
God has done everything in Jesus Christ to make our reconciliation with Him possible. He's done everything. He's paid the debt. He's taken our sins and removed them far from us in Christ. He's done all that He can do, and He's put it out there, and He says, Now, I'm sending you out as ambassadors to plead with people. What's our mission, folks? Wherever we are in our mission endeavors here, we are pleading with people, be reconciled with God. Be reconciled with God. God is ready. You don't have to wonder if you go to God and say, God, I am sorry for my sin. I confess. Oh, will you please forgive me? Did you know we don't have to wonder? God gives us His promise. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from sin. We don't have to wonder. And God gave Paul that ministry of reconciliation. And God gives us that same ministry of reconciliation. Humanly, the offender can seek reconciliation and the offended may not be willing to forgive. That's usually a major problem with trust in the the, uh, hurt person uh, or of not understanding their own sinfulness. But this is never the case with God. He is faithful to forgive. Are you really ready to be reconciled? In Romans 12, to live at peace with others. Are you willing and ready to be obedient to the Word of God, both forgiving and in being contrite? These are commands that God gives us for our own good. I want to be reconciled with God. I want to have the joy of being in His presence. And with those people who are close to me, I want the joy of being reconciled. If my wife and I are at odds, I want the joy of being reconciled with her so that we can be at peace in each other's presence. When we know God's forgiveness, we too become the ministers of reconciliation, just as Paul was. Psalm 51 again, verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. I want to take some time in some guided prayer. And so I'm going to ask the uh, praise team to come up now and and help lead us into this. While they're coming up, I'll just mention, um, I do have handouts that I use with people that I work with. If anybody would like to have a handout of this material and some additional points that I didn't cover, uh, I have some with me. Copies are not very good, but I have them. I want us to take some time in prayer right now. I want you to be thinking again about those, those areas of your life. Hopefully something's been stirred up today about where you've offended or where you've been offended. And we're going to go through, we're going to have the, the praise team lead us in a prayer song. And then I'm going to guide you in some prayer. We're going to sing that same song again. I'm going to guide you in a little bit more prayer and we'll be closing. And after that, parents can go get their kids. I'm sorry, we'll be ending with a song also.
those areas where we have hurt others. Lord, show us those places where we've been the offender, where we've caused hurt. Are there people, Lord, that we are not safe for? Are there people, Lord, that I know, that we know that we have hurt but, I, but my heart hasn't been broken yet. I know I've done it, but I'm not willing to hear the hurt and the pain. Lord, am I willing to be broken by your Spirit this morning? Am I willing to commit right now that sometime very soon, if possible, if it's a person who's still accessible to me, that I will seek to confess, to be contrite, that I will do my part to perhaps open up that relationship, if that's realistic, if that's doable, if your spirit is leading me to do that. Change my behavior, Lord. Change my behavior so that I become a safe person for those who I hurt. Thank you, Lord. I know a place, a wonderful
Show me, Lord, are there people I need to forgive? Lord, who's hurt me, wronged me, really caused damage in our relationship? Someone I'm not in relationship with? Lord, is there anyone who has been contrite, and I was not willing to forgive. Lord, am I willing to face and acknowledge the hurt and the pain that I experience in this this relationship and because of this action? And Lord, will I choose, will I choose to turn this over to you to let go of my right for hurting back, getting even, and let you take care of it. Would you help me see that other person as a whole person? Lord, show me how much I've already been forgiven, how much you've done to pursue me. Lord, you know whether some of these relationships can be healed or not. Some of them may may be people who have died and gone on, people we're not living with anymore, people that are not safe and there can be no reconciliation. But Lord, may that no longer be a block to my extending forgiveness, for my being free, for my being healed, for my being able to get on with my life and not have that root of bitterness growing in me. Lord, help me to trust that you will take care of justice that I don't have to. That I don't have to protect myself by holding on to the hurt. That I don't have to stay in the fear that if I forgive, that I will have to be reconciled, even if that other person is unsafe. And then, Lord, I want to take some time to thank you for your incredible gift of forgiveness in Christ Jesus that you offer to us, that you are ready to be reconciled. You want us to come back, to have the joy of being in your presence, of not being apart from you, estranged from you. So Lord, thank you that if we come to you, you are ready to forgive, ready to be reconciled. And may we go out as ambassadors for you this week and this year for those who need to be reconciled to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done. In your precious name we pray.
You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Thank you.